I can't believe this is the final episode of season six and we're going out on a bang with a new opportunity that I'm really excited about starting in Feb. Today's podcast is all about the need for an experimental approach to adapt for what the future of work requires of us. And that fits really well with the Leadership and Manager Labs that I'm facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. Our next group starts in February and there are only 10 spaces available. If you book a place before the 1st of January, you'll get a discount. So consider that my Christmas present to you. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head with a blend of learning, coaching, experimentation and peer support. You'll hear more about that in January when some of the leaders in our current group share their experience. Why not click on the link in the show notes to find out more about the labs and secure your place. If you're interested in creating the space to pause, analyse, plan outside the box, test and review with your colleagues about the things that matter most to you, we can also bring the labs in-house. So get in touch with us to have a chat about what that might look like. And get your name on my mailing list so that future episodes of the podcast land straight in your inbox. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist, and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. I'm sitting here with Gemma Ellison, and we are buzzing after a session we just had with a load of fabulous leaders. Um, so we thought we are gonna bring our energy to this podcast and, li- and literally have a conversation about why we're buzzing and what we uh, want to talk about today is about being creative and um, having injecting some energy back into how we do things. So welcome, Gem. Hello. Well, thanks for having me back again. That's all right. Yeah. So for those people who haven't heard you speak before, and if not, they'd be missing out because um, you have been on this podcast before, but you've also been doing lots of other fabulous stuff. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about what it is you do. Yeah, so um, hi everyone, I'm Gemma Ellison uh, and I uh, have two hats that I wear. Uh, One is that I run a business called Heart Leadership, which is a culture and leadership consultancy, um, all about making work better, essentially, and creating great leaders um, in a different way. Um, And the other thing is that I work at Macmillan Cancer Support, uh, looking after leadership and talent, which is very exciting. So we both share the space, which is around developing people and challenging the way things are done. Um, So let's start talking about how things are done and why that is. So why organisations run the way they do and people are still operating in a space that isn't necessarily great for the business or great for them as individuals. Definitely. Well, we can ponder that question as we always do. But imagine if we asked other asked organisations and if people are listening to this who run organisations, why do you do the things that you do? I, I wonder what they would say. And I suspect, because I've asked this question a lot, mm. it's because of it's the way we've always done things. Um, we, the way I just think the way we work now is is archaic. It doesn't meet anyone's needs from an emotional perspective, from a purpose perspective, um, from an engagement perspective. And I think organizations are losing out massively uh, in terms of engagement, people, profit, all of those different things because of quite archaic way we do things, which we don't tend to question anymore. And you know what? I think actually it reminds me of a point that um, Jim just made, uh, one of the leaders we were were talking with, who said he's of a different generation. I can't remember how he put it, more mature, his experience or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But... um, 
around like younger people who are coming into workplaces now who are expecting different things they are they're in a different place they expect the pace to change they you know they expect change to happen they expect it to happen quickly they expect to be inundated with information they expect people to be more agile um it's kind of like well why can't we do it like this and why and and actually you then got this other group of people who are well we, because we've always done it but that's not good enough anymore because that's well it's just not good enough reason for do, doing things just because that's how we've always done it so I always ask that question a lot as well why well because let's just think about it for a second you go into a typical organization right and, and what you tend to have is you'll have a hierarchy in place mm. so there might be a CEO and a board an exec team then you might have directors you might have heads of department you might have team leaders why what why do we need all of those people why do we need all of that sign off why is it structured in the way that it is? Mm. Why do we have teams of, say, 20 people, departments, 20 people headed up by one person? It, it, is, why do we have bonus structures in the way that we do, mm. which encourage individualism, basically? It, it, there's no... And I just found it fascinating that, that we... And it, look, I've only started thinking about it recently, really, to be honest, about interrogating. Why do we do that? How does that work? Um and I've been in those in those roles, up and down hierarchies. Um, but why? What? What? Why do we do that? I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Completely, I think we the the data around is really clear about the fact that people are not engaged with their work, and people are I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about people who aren't particularly happy, and then does they just kind of stay put? And it's like, well, actually, no, people aren't really staying put anymore. They are they are walking. We know that people are might be quietly quitting or they're actually actively seeking to make your noise and go elsewhere but we know that people aren't engaged and I think you and I are jumping up and down a lot in this space about this because we're also aware that there are so many um, different approaches to let's do things better by making it almost more complicated and you know I love your word interrogation because when we interrogate practice and we turn that interrogation on ourselves and start with well why are we showing up the way we do why are we feeling the way I'm feeling why um why am I spending my day doing x y and z and you actually start asking yourself these questions and then ask the questions of your team you unpick a whole load of stuff there that you can do something with some pretty quick wins in terms of simplifying and improving practice and reducing the amount of noise that people are consumed with just from interrogating our own practice. Definitely. And 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 look, the reality is you made a point before, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you made the point of of, you know, that the sort of well being completely different now and people expecting different things. Mm. So people might be listening to this and thinking, oh, you know what, some of the things that Gemma and Lisa talk about might be nice to have. I disagree. It's no longer going to be nice to have. It is going to be this is how you now have to mm. operate or your business might not succeed. And again, there's so much evidence around the world, really, of businesses that are not thriving at the moment, but worse, that they're having to sort of close. And it's because, again, if and, and we'll talk about this in a bit more detail, but the things that people need in work are not present. They are not present. They're not being helped by the hierarchies in place. People crave autonomy. And again, we had the chat earlier on. Uh, with somebody who who said that a person on their team and said, "Leave me alone," um, and and I thought that was really interesting. And we, as a group of leaders, we unpick what that meant. Um, but what that person might be saying is, 
the best way to leave me is to leave me alone. But what what they, they may well mean is I need independence. I need autonomy. I need you to trust me. I need to be able to do my thing. How much can we say that we give people autonomy, that mm. we design jobs around things they're good at or things that they're interested in? Mm. How much do we do those things? We typically have a five-page job description, which will have a list of random things on there, like you need to answer the phone. Come on. Is that the world that we're in now? Is that how, how detailed we need to go? Is that yeah. how rigid it needs to be? But it's, if we think about it, in a world that is so rapidly changing, I think organisations are still rigid in lots of different ways, in ways of the way they stuff job design, job descriptions, the way they're structured, the way they do business planning. That's always been a bugbear of mine. I think I've mentioned it on another podcast that we've been on together. Um, but what at the rate of change now and the pace of change now, why on earth is anyone spending any time writing a business plan for the next year uh, to include the whole year? I absolutely know for sure where we will be next year could be a completely different world mm. than where we are now. So what what is that about? Should we not be actually mm. investing in a more agile way of doing things where people are have experimental views, where they try different things quickly, mm. where we invest in people's development in terms of their mindset? Can we get them quicker on their feet? What does that look and feel like? I think that's the world, not that we're moving into, that we are in now. And it's not a phase. It's not going to go away. We are only ha- going to have to adapt quicker. Um, and I, I genuinely believe that the organisations who are not doing that are going to be the ones that don't survive in this environment. But that's an it's an emotional space, isn't it? It's an emotional it's a it's an emotionally led or emotionally driven space, and that companies need to be in. So to be able to um, experiment, to be able to question our practice. To be able to do all that stuff, we have to feel emotionally secure in ourselves. We have to feel emotionally secure with the people around us. Um, and again, you know, we can talk more about psychological safety, but you know, that pace, the pace of change is rapid. And you know, as you said, it's not about just looking at kind of the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, almost the kind of technical practical side of stuff. It's actually what the people are experiencing in that and how quickly they can adjust. But for them to be able to do that, it goes back to what we were talking about this morning with this group around change. You know, we think about change, about where we are now, where we we're, where we want to get to. And it's usually, right, what's the quickest way of getting there? How do we just on mass blanket approach, tell everybody this is our plan. And we focus on the, the kind of the practical, technical side of all those processes and stuff. What we don't think about are the people within that, in that transition stage, and that's what we need to focus on in terms of, well, what does that future state really look like? We might have an idea, but we need everyone on board to help shape that in a meaningful way. And that means, well, firstly, understanding how they feel about letting go of what they're doing currently, how they feel about where they're going. Are they confident about that? Are they scared about that? Do they know their place in that? As the world changes, you know, just think about AI or just those, you know, lots of people are going, oh, my gosh, I do feel out like my depth. So then I end up being defensive and that changes my behavior. And people start thinking of me as, you know, the awkward one in the team because I'm not kind of or smiley and engaging and jumping on the next thing. It's like, actually, I've, I'm resisting because I don't fully understand it. Or I don't feel safe in it. And, and then that just locks us down into more of what we know. So we stick with what we know, what's safe. This is how I always do it. This is how I've always done it. I'm, I'm OK with that. And actually to step outside that, you've got to have an environment which is 
recognizing it might feel a bit nerve-wracking it might feel a little bit um kind of concerning that you're going to make some mistakes or that actually you're just gonna to have to say I don't know I don't get this and being able to kind of create that space for you to do that definitely and I think it so it, first of all just to pick up on one of the things that you said there about you know we we know our the sort of future that we're looking for or something along those lines do we I think we we back ourselves as being really good at predicting things. Mm-hmm. We're terrible at predicting things. It's impossible to do. So actually, again, that's why the investment in a more agile mindset is is what you, what you can do. Mm-hmm. But I think I I, I we, we again for those listening, we have just been on a very interesting session this morning that we've run. So I'm sure that you can hear our energy uh, mm-hmm. here. So let's bring it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think. The first thing, if we're going to interrogate um, how we do things, that requires a level of vulnerability mm. from a leader or from a company owner, because the way a business has been run and trying to accept, actually, this is not future fit, must be hard. That must be really difficult to do. And if we think again about the traditional ways, so when I was sort of growing up, coming through businesses, there was no emotion involved. In fact, you get told, leave motion to door. So you are trained, you you are told. And again, you know, I've got an uncle who's 76. He's always told me I'm too emotional. So that, that is sort of generational thing. So actually vulnerability isn't something that, I, I, I don't think we're comfortable with it yet, particularly leaders at the at the sort of top of the, of the hierarchy. The hierarchy we say shouldn't exist. But I wonder if we could just think about that for a second in terms of, um, conversations that you have around around vulnerability because for me that's the first step it may be that if the, if the lead of the organization or the exec team aren't comfortable with the fact that things might need to change and all the emotion that will come with that from them because it may they may feel we've been doing it wrong mm. it's not about any of that it's about what's right for the future but I wonder again what your thoughts are on giving leaders space to be vulnerable and and to sort of do you see where, where I'm going completely uh, and I think you know what the the um the group we had this morning and when we met them last month um the thing the consistent feedback we got from them is how much they all valued being able to be vulnerable with each other so they don't all know each other but it's that sense of actually I just know I need to be able to offload I need to be able to say how thing how things really are without wearing the mask um I need to say uh be honest about this is what I'm struggling with and to know that I'll be understood without any sense of judgment and you and knowing that people are there for you and they will hear they will understand they'll be compassionate they'll support you whether that's a practical way or just an emotional way of giving you space to to be heard that vulnerability is so key and I think I'm always I'm still struck by the number of people we know that leadership is a lonely role but the number of people who don't have the ability within their companies to be vulnerable. They haven't found that space. So I had a, a, an email from an MD a couple of weeks ago and her the um, the subject line was in just capital letters, help, <laughs> exclamation mark. It's like, I've, I, just, I'm fe- I just don't know what's like, I'm just feeling stuck and I just don't know where to go. And I'm, you know, because I'm feeling stuck I'm now starting to question lots of stuff, which is actually unnerving my sense of confidence. And, you know, I'm starting to question, I'm starting to interrogate stuff, but I'm actually interrogating stuff in in an unhelpful way. Is that almost that imposter syndrome kind of coming in and going, do you really think you're doing this right? Do you think you're doing that right? And, And there's a good way of 
interrogation in terms of questioning your practice, but it's also when it becomes too loud and it starts to um, really impact on your confidence in what you're doing. And when I had the space with her just to unpick stuff and we then started looking at what does the data say and what could you what could we do to do something a bit different or what do we need to find out like what where do we go next and actually started looking at the whole process rather than just keep going or just jump at some conclusions um it, it just made everything emotionally she felt so different after she said it's almost like a huge weight to be lifted off her shoulders because she could be vulnerable and say I don't know I'm struggling and that's the bit where leaders still haven't I would agree with you they haven't on the whole got that some people are very lucky they have but it's a problem when we haven't because then we go into autopilot mode which is my emotional arousal is really high I'm feeling vulnerable I don't really know what to do with it so I'm just gonna stick my head down and bury myself in what I know and that's where it goes back to sticking with the problem staying stuck because people revert back to what they know rather than I'm going to embrace something different and I'm going to look outwards and be open-minded and all that stuff which we can't do when we're stressed and emotionally aroused no we can't and I'm a big fan of coaching for that reason just to have somebody who's independent who can help you through and guide you through those questions because that the thing you just said there about time to pause and mm-hmm. take stock the reality is organizations are going to have to constantly reinvent themselves i'm a bit wary when we talk about things like transformation projects because that feels like an event mm. this is going to be constant it's going to be it's it's not going to be a we'll reinvent ourselves now and then in four years we might do it again it's, it's just not going to happen like that but just to your point on vulnerability about leaders um I've noticed again post pandemic again you know this is obviously a period of time that we can now refer to um mm. People are expecting different things, as you said earlier on today. And I wonder, so previously, you would expect your leader to be someone who knows all of the answers. And there's an expectation. And I think that's carried in the way that we're trained to be leaders. Um, there's no expect. You don't get trained or told. You have to social, show some vulnerability. Mm-hmm. They'll show you a bit of a, more of a softer side. But I And I think that people think the expectation is still that they're not human, that they're robots who know all of the answers, who sit at the top of, a, of an ivory tower. Mm. And I don't think from what I've seen, I, I'm again, I'm seeing things change. I see the leaders who have more respect now are leaders who accept they don't know all the answers, mm. who accept that they need to rethink, who accept that mm. they are human and talk about how they deal with stress and pressure too, because it just humanizes the whole thing. And it helps unify an organization when you feel that there's a togetherness rather than that separation which hierarchy brings. So I think that what people expect from leaders now and what will be, as we see Gen Z come into the workplace and things like that, I think the expectation on leaders will be very different. Uh, and again, embracing that ability to be vulnerable is going to be something that is hugely um, valuable, particularly because, again, if we think about the first step in sort of changing a culture in this way, that you've got to pause, mm. got to take stock, and that will require vulnerability in that you interrogate your own practice, which is not easy to do. And and also just having that, you know, interrogating back your own practice, but with the backdrop of, I've got something there to fill the gaps, or like I've got, if I'm if I then notice some gaps, or I notice them, I'm not 
doing very well, where do I go or what do I do? So, um, you know, a great example that came from this morning when we were talking about uh, change and the emotional impact of change and um, talking about uh, the grief cycle in relation to change and the great comment that someone made around, um, yeah, it, it feels it feels really liberating or it feels really um, helpful to have heard that description because I thought it was just me being weak feeling and responding to change like I've been responding I now know it's okay and it's normal to respond like that we need to educate people to know what a normal emotional responses are <laughs> so that we can start giving ourselves a bit more of a break as leaders in terms of I'm feeling uh, depressed about something I'm feeling really sad about something I'm feeling worried about something and actually it's not a reflection of me being weak it's actually this is a normal res emotional response when we we need to be able to educate leaders in that space so that they go oh this is this is what's to ex be expected I'm okay and therefore I can also reassure everyone else around me rather yeah. than as you say like are you just gonna have all the answers definitely and I think I'm really interested in in leaning into emotion um, whatever those emotions are but again if you think about how we're raised when we're kids people will say don't cry don't be angry so so we are conditioned to mm. believe that those emotions are unacceptable which mm. is then how we move through the workplace and the grief cycle is interesting to me I, I used to um I, I, you know you know I've experienced a lot of grief in my life and um I, I sort of shut down those emotions for a long time and I used to run a um a, a project called a little dog called grief um and what that meant, it, it was in terms of how you deal with emotions. And I, I liken it to a dog. So I've got two labs, right? And if they're sort of fussing around me and wanting attention and I ignore them, they just get worse. They'll start barking. They'll start maybe tearing things up in the house. They they will kick off. However, once they start making that little noise, they want attention. If I give them a stroke and tickle their belly and give them some attention, they go away and get on with the day. And I think dealing with emotions is something very similar, particularly as it comes to change and anything like that. If an emotion comes up and you lean into it, get support, could be from a peer group or could be from a coach or anything like that, therapist, whatever it is, and you actually address the issue, you find nothing is, nothing is permanent. And that's the whole theme of this podcast. Mm. But if you don't deal with it, It'll end up like my two labs and start barking at you and the barks will become louder. And then before you know it, it's ripped up your cushions and your Christmas trees come down, you know? So yeah. so, so it gets worse and worse and worse and, and turns into, you know, a self-fulfilling cycle. Yeah, I like that. I think that's that's a really good way of explaining it. You're you're very good, Gem, at bringing things to life with your stories. Um, And I love hearing about your labs. What I want to do is, is pick up on a point you made earlier about transformation. And we hear... You know, we read it all the time on LinkedIn or we hear people talking about transformation projects and stuff like that. And what you and I um, are quite aligned on is actually how unhelpful that can be, because people then think it's got to be huge. It's got to be um, everyone's going to see it and know about it. Therefore, it's got to succeed. Um, and it, that almost deters people from engaging with anything other than what they're used to. So we talk a lot about experimentation um, and actually just having the confidence to run an experiment so what I'd love to unpick with you a little bit more is actually what we mean by experiments because even just thinking about that for some people be like what on earth are they talking about <laughs> yeah let, let, let's do it let's start with transformation just 
quickly though in terms of how we we like to talk talk about it the word itself feels overwhelming to hear if mm. someone says it, it, about any aspect of your life you're going to transform it what that means is an overhaul everything feels brand new it's a completely mm. different way that's terrifying and also people haven't got time to, to to overhaul everything in life and i think so so before we sort of get into how to do an experiment let's think about some of the principles think and act small okay and again that's contrary to what we're told we're always told big picture thinking blue sky thinking let's do all these big things no it doesn't it doesn't tend to work actually so a principle that we we talk about a lot in the things that we run is think small and act small and you find that the smallest things make the biggest difference um so that's one of our sort of key principles isn't it um, and be as specific as you can in terms of what you are going to do and then also what you um mm. and also what you want to achieve what do you want the outcome to be so in terms of experiments do you want to kick us off in terms of where we normally start well i was i was um just thinking about you know you talk about interrogating practice and stuff and i guess it's about being starting off by being clear about where we actually are like what's going on right now and when we are when we have a clear picture of where things are at and that might be you know definitely using data and stuff that you've got to hand like that whether it's surveys or whether it's uh, other data about sickness or whatever but also just how are people feeling and how are people engaging and how are people performing so where are we now and what is getting in the way and that getting in the way is not again some big like huge problem that is to do with you know the whole company it could be it's my confidence that's getting in the way or it's actually I don't know how to engage best with this particular individual we're just rubbing each other up the wrong way or whatever so it's that kind of where are we now uh what are the challenges and why do we think that might be so encouraging people to hypothesize a little bit more and people it's it still amazes me how quickly people will just see a problem they'll go they'll see it take it at face value and they'll slap a solution on and go right done it that's going to make all the difference without really interrogating that problem to really understand the root cause of it and again it's about being simple it could be about how I'm feeling about something I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling nervous or I'm feeling incompetent or you know whatever my feelings are so understanding that and saying you know your hypothesis then is that if I was feeling more confident or if I um, had a bit more knowledge about this particular aspect, then I'm going to feel differently in my role. I'm going to be able to engage uh, with more confidence, with more clarity. I'm going to be able to lead my team better. And that's your hypothesis. So even before you jump into doing anything different, there's got to be all that kind of stuff going on in the background. Yeah, definitely. And and again, I think through all of the various stages of an experiment, the interrogation of each part is important too. So you've just said that sometimes people will see a problem stick a solution on it and say I've done it sometimes the opposite happens sometimes the problem is so big and we've got a real habit of talking about huge problems in organizations that people don't do anything with it at all and it just becomes part of oh we'll sort that out in quarter four next year it's too mm -hmm. so so just a, a, an example that I really like um my partner um is really sort of interested in the EDI space um and, and one of the things that we've talked about is sometimes organizations will say when they're recruiting, for example, right, we need to recruit more um, diverse talents. And, and so they think that, that their issue is a recruitment problem. 
when actually if you dig deep and actually look at the problem it's do the ways of working in this organization suit a diverse team so it's about thinking are you looking in the right place in terms of your hypothesis mm. um, but also as you said keeping it small we there's no point in trying to solve a huge problem like can we meet our edi goals by 2030 that that just even that in itself sounds very overwhelming people won't even touch it because it's it sounds too big but if we said okay our hypothesis is that um the way that we structure our work in day doesn't suit um neurodivergent people for example mm. that's much easier to deal with that's mm. as a hypothesis and then you can experiment with different things rather than thinking anything bigger so i think what i would encourage any listeners to do is to take stock of where you're at like we've just been talking about to pause to interrogate what's going on what are your current challenges and then test some hypotheses and have a think about it have a think about how can you be more specific how can you ask the next question mm. and get to something really specific to act on and i'd also add to that about um making sure that what you're focusing on is something that you're interested in if possible because we know that um emotion drives behavior much more than logic so someone could present the best argument to us but unless we emotionally connect with it we're less likely to be uh motivated excited and, and um throw ourselves into it so the more we can un- the more we can understand the benefits of making that change trying something new you know running that experiment the more we can link that to what the benefits for us the more likely we are to to engage with that so it's thinking about again it's thinking about the emotional reason for doing that are we just wanting to look at our recruitment and recruit more people from a certain demographic because it ticks a box mm-hmm. in which case you're not going to have people behind you if you're doing it for other reasons and you know that actually it's going to make a difference to how you feel and how you engage in your experience, it's much more likely to be meaningful. And then that comes back to that bit again you said earlier about being really clear about what success looks like. So what will it look like when, you know, if this problem had gone away, if if we had done, if we can do something that's going to make a difference, a positive impact what is it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What? How is it going to actually affect my experience? So people have a clear vision of what it is they're working towards rather than just what they're moving away from, which is the problem. And I think often we talk about problems and we're like, we just need to solve that problem and here's a solution, but they can't really envisage what that will, the solution will look like when it's successful. And if we can create a really clear idea of that, almost like creating a template in your brain about I can see it I can feel it I can hear it I can really imagine that and then it gives us something to work towards and we're then looking at our brain because it likes to pattern match is looking out for all the cues all the signals that that's just going to happen that oh my gosh I can see people are smiling more or I can see people are coming talking to me more or whatever it is 100% and I think that so that goes to so once you've done your your sort of analysis as to where you are now um, once you've gathered different perspectives, once you've listened to some external voices, maybe, um, and once you've got your hypothesis, that is all about the experiment design. And you mentioned that having a template in your head. Um, of course, you know, me and you are working together in this space, so we actually do have a template. And mm-hmm. if any any listeners are interested, drop us a note and we can send it to you and talk, talk to you about how to use it if you want to do your own experiments. But um, it, that's all about 
the actual doing it because again we spend so much time thinking i just saw a post on linkedin about 40 minutes ago which is that we spend so much time thinking and thinking and thinking and analyzing but it's a time to actually do something and mm. again action is is what's important so with this you know thinking about how you go about conducting an experiment when you've got your, your, your hypothesis your research question if you like then it's all about building it then what are you going to do and again with the focus on small steps so thinking about the logistics side of things how are you going to do it how are you going to run your experiments who's going to be involved are you going to have control groups um are you going to do it with a small team in the first instance before rolling it out further when will you do it again these types of things hold you accountable to your own plan but thinking these things through is really important and then again how will you know it's been successful? You need to know how to measure it. Um, mm. Again, these things sound like very long processes. They don't have to be. These things can happen very, very quickly. But you having a plan of doing that, um, and then in a little while we'll talk about creating a space and the environment to be able to do it. But that's how it works, and that's the things that we talk about. So, again, where are you now? Have a think about your hypothesis, uh, and then do it. Take mm. Try have make some experiments do them test things out again sometimes in organizations one person normally the most senior leader will think i know i'm going to solve our culture problem by doing this with absolutely because they've heard it on linkedin or they've seen it on a, on a webinar but can't and then roll out a sort of to everybody in a blanket approach which is our point earlier about change mm. doesn't work actually testing things on a smaller group and then have an evidence base to move it forward and roll it out further is much better because we both talk about culture a huge amount. Culture happens by design. You have to design what you want it to look like. Otherwise, you know, because, you know, you have a culture in your organization, whether you sort of want to define it or not. In fact, you'll have lots of cultures in your organization. If you want to take control of that in whatever way that looks like in the way you engage with your employees or how you engage with clients, it's about experimenting as to what works now and what will work in the future and having that constant mindset of change of experimentation um, mm. and being ready to move things forward. And I think also part of that is about um, anticipating what the barriers might be. So when I've seen people do it really well uh, in terms of designing an experiment and then thinking, right, I've, I know who I'm getting involved. I know when I'm going to do stuff and how I'm going to do it. It's like, okay, stop. Let's ask the questions of ourselves. What could get in the way? And when we are when we are realistic about all this stuff could get in the way and we're never going to manage to think of everything. You know, you could have a child who's ill and you can't go into work or, you know, have unpredictable stuff. But there will be things that you can foresee that could get in the way of those experiments running or the, the or them being successful. So let's anticipate that. And then you're, uh, already prepared for for those potential barriers to come along and I think when we can do that and also we can hold ourselves to account and you've already talked about accountability but how are people going to hold themselves to account because if you just say right go off and, and run your experiment you know you've got an idea of what you're going to do it's quite simple off you off you trot and you go and have a go at it it's like and then what so you've got to have an idea of you know who you're going to share stuff with in terms of how it's going um, whether it's going well or not going well and how often are you going to do that and so having points where you are you know there's an onus on you to to share and to 
potentially problem solve or just to share good practice. And particularly if you're running something as a pilot group, you know, whether you're doing it just on your own or whether you're having a little pilot group, see how something goes before you roll roll it out wider. But that sense of accountability has to come from um, holding yourself to account, but also getting other people involved, checking in on you, asking how it's going. Um, it makes it much easier because you know you've got to do it. You can't go to the bottom of your to-do pile. <laughs> Absolutely. And just just to pick up on one of the things because um, that, that you just said there about, you know, thinking about when it's going well and when it isn't going so well. Um, I, I would hate for anyone to get into the space where they think that their first experiment has to change the world and it has to be successful because actually you are going to come across more failures of ideas than you will come across successful ones. And the failure is the gold dust. And look, loads of people, Stephen Bartlett talks about it all the time. A successful company has to fail faster than everybody else. And that sounds very nice in theory. But actually, again, the sort of psychology of failure, I don't think we're quite there with yet as, as organisations. But the data that you get from these experiments, the learnings that you will take, whether it's gone well or it hasn't, whether the initiative's fallen flat on its face or it hasn't, you need to know that very, very quickly because I think is is it called the the sunken cost fallacy or something like that? Is is that something where you you sort of invest a lot of time into something and because you have invested time and energy and money into it, you just keep going even though you know it's yeah. not going to go very well. That was it. Me as, as a lawyer, when I said I wasn't going to be lawyer anymore, my family were absolutely furious. You've spent all this money at law school. You've spent all this time and energy, and you've done well at it. What on earth are you doing? And they would have wanted me to carry on being miserable in that role because I've just invested so much time before. But actually, if we can pick up on things quickly and know that doesn't feel right, the clients aren't responding right to that, our employees aren't responding well to that, and fail quickly, mm. we just get to so much more success when we, when we, um, when we acknowledge those failures and, and do it more. And you know what? There are so many companies now who are really embracing this that um, it's not just you and I talking about this. <laughs> And Stephen Bartlett. So, um, like, companies <laughs> like Amazon and Facebook and Google and Microsoft, and that they all they all embrace an experimental culture. Um, let's unpick a couple of companies. I know you've got you're going to talk a bit about um, Toyota, which I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about. But Booking.com, they are um, they run masses of experiments. Apparently, they have something like more than a thousand uh, tests going on at only any one time, and I think that's, that's something like more than. 25,000 in a year and I think they their um their message is about um anyone can experiment and they don't have to ask for permission of their managers so they had there was an example I read recently um and actually I'll put the reference in um into the show notes but they had a, a director of design who um apparently suggested a radical overhaul of their um company webpage which basically meant getting rid of everything that the company had been working on and kind of um, optimizing over the last however many years. The CEO thought it was a bad idea. And the head of, um, I think it was their experimentation team, thought it was a bad idea, but they still ran with it. And a lot of people would be saying, why are you doing that? Because that's that's massively risky. That's undoing a load of good stuff. And you all think it's not going to work. I think there was something about someone even better bottle of champagne the fact it wasn't going to work they were so confident it was going to fail but they said we have our key one of our key values in terms of how we empower people 
is that anyone has the right to experiment without asking permission. And I think when when and and when people have that permission to do that and it's encouraged and you've got examples like that where people are saying we really don't think it's going to work but go with it anyway it might not work but as you say you work out why it didn't work but there's a motivation for that experiment to have come about in the first place so why was it this person thought the web page needed an overhaul and and actually if the if the overhaul in the, that form of that experiment didn't uh provide the results they were looking for actually let's go back and say well why did why was that need there and why did it fail and where where do we need to land up in terms of moving forward so it is and their their um culture which has really embraced that has meant that it's gone from being something like well it's like a really tiny company to the biggest co company in that in that space in less than two decades and that's come about because they are so agile. They are, they are encouraging people to say, how can we do this better? How can we be bigger and better and, and come up with the ideas and just run it as a test? It's so, so powerful. I it love is, that example. Absolutely. Well, and that's a great example. And a great example of how, because if you think about it, like we mentioned before, in the traditional way companies are set up, People, so say like school leavers will mm. come in uh, sort of entry level positions where they will typically, again, in the way the current structures of organizations are set up, will have no power and influence on, on anything really. They are the people at the moment who will come with the most experimental mindset. Mm. They should be listened to because they're doing things completely differently and they they have grown up in a, in a, in a more digital environment and will be much more likely again look embrace the sort of the the child in us who, who will be curious and test things and do things differently but actually again more often than not the people who are close to the top are set in their ways they've done things a certain way it's been successful because let's be real you know, companies are successful that's great so if you're sitting there thinking i'd run a really successful company what I think I had a quote by someone called Marshall Goldsmith I think his name is and what got you here won't get you there I think that's a really important thing to think about. But just to your point there about letting everybody try to experiment, that's so valuable. And and also, doesn't that really create a sense of unity amongst an organisation, a sense of team? And that's how you'll get to a high-performance culture because everyone will feel like they've got a stake in the game. They'll all want to... They, they, their contribution will be celebrated. That makes them feel much more valued, have much more auto autonomy, much more purpose. Oh, look what we're creating here, engaged people who want to do great work that will amplify the success of your organization. And then that also flies in the face of hierarchy and traditional structures like that, because you're actively seeking the ideas from the people who are newest into your organization or from the youngest people, the kind of people who would normally be bottom rung of the ladder and they've got to work their way up before they have a voice. It's like actually we need to amplify their voices from where you know from day one and and actually just learn learn from them learn from their approach that's a great quote from marshall yeah and look at but it, it links to you so we've got about the cars and approach um mm. from toyota um i'm just looking at something something here which basically says that the this, this sort of notion of the cars and philosophy rejects the notion that only a select few members of a company's hierarchy are responsible for innovation it insists that it has to be an everyday task and concern of all employees at all levels. So that is, again, what made Toyota very, very successful. And their approach is celebrated by lots of organizations. And 
and the Kaizen approach essentially means small improvements. Mm. So, so what they're doing every day is looking for the smallest of improvements that can be made, and that is the philosophy in the organization. How can we make it 1% better? What does that look like? That feels more manageable, doesn't it? It mm. really does. It Even just hearing that, think about the word, how can we make it 1% better compared to transformation? Yeah. What sits more, what sits, what sits better? But actually, if you think about it, if we decide to every day make something in our organizations 1% better, how how much change are we going to affect? And again, the key point is everyone being involved in it. So the Kaizen philosophy is applied to sports teams too. And, you know, you know that I love a little sports quote. Um, David Brailsford um, with the um, the, cycle, the the GB cycling team, absolutely amazing. And looking at what can we do to improve Just having, oh, Jem's just having a coughing fit. She's just gone mute. <laughs> Take yourself off mute. <coughs> you can tell. You can tell this. You can tell this is a real, a real um live kind of podcast, and this is not rehearsed at all. Jem, you've got to come off mute now. You've finished choking. You're still on mute. I've just been on mute for ages talking loads of gold and cents um anyway so let's go back to david brailsford um when he, he took on the um the gb cycling team again it wasn't that let's overhaul the whole thing it was what can we do to look for small improvements whether that's what the cyclist is wearing whether it's how they sleep the night before the quality of their pillows that impact the sleep all of these things so sweating the small stuff looking at the detail of things and how can we improve it in a small way to move the needle is all about the cars and philosophy um and that's something that i think again we we could all we could all embrace it in life and organizations and if you interrogate a, a sort of a process and you think how can i make this bit one percent better if someone's going to come into a training session for me does altering the temperature of a room make a difference yeah there's a small difference to be made all these little small things that you can do are what organizations who are agile who are taking on this experimental culture are doing they are making small continuous improvements every day and doing it by experimenting and it reminds me of an experiment that we heard about one of our um the leaders talking about in our group this morning who was talking about um confidence in terms of presenting to large particularly very senior groups um or just large groups of people and you know your what you just said really reminded me of what she was saying because it was the little things like uh how I prepare in terms of what time I get to bed at night so I'm just going to get to bed a bit earlier and I'm not going to have necessarily the alcohol and the coffee with um in the evening because I know that'll affect my sleep and I'm going to think about my breathing before I go and do the the presentation um I'm going to be prepared obviously in terms of knowing my notes but I'm going to really practice them I'm going to perhaps visualize how I'm doing it and it's going down well so it was all the little things that uh, this person had control over that they're like we're just going to change small things the difference it made for her was phenomenal I mean she started grinning and going wow I couldn't believe if you told me three or four months ago I would be doing what I'm doing now I would not have believed you and that was all because she was interested in making a change that would 
improve her practice and, and improve her experience of how she felt at work and how she was coming across to other people. So it's what she needed, what other people needed of her by changing the smallest things. And I'm a, I'm a real fan of, you know, you talk about the 1% and some people might be thinking, well, how do I know what the 1% is? How do I know when I get to 1% or what's 5%? And for some people, I just encourage them to have a, um, a number scale from zero to 10. And you start off really simply by, okay, how are we feeling today? And I might be at a, at a three. So actually, what do I need to do to get to a four? So I'm not talking about what we all need to do to be the happiest, most engaged team and all performing at tens. Actually, 10 might be really unrealistic right now because of the amount of change we're going through as a, as a company or whatever's going on. But how do I just get from a three to a four? If that feels too big, where I am right now in this moment, how do I get to three and a half? And it's that sense of you can do something to move you forward but it's about identifying these really small things it might be I just need to move away from work I need to go take some time this morning we said to someone who was not in the space for um, engaging with our group we said go and do something else that you need to do because it was front of her mind so just go and do that so you can park it and then you can come back so it's it's about being clear about what is going on for you in that moment and what you can do to just get yourself into a slightly better place. And if everyone got themselves into a slightly different place or a slightly better place along that scale, imagine the impact. It would be absolutely huge. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we don't take small steps because we feel like they'll be insignificant. We think, oh, what's mm-hmm. the point in doing that? And to the person you've just referred to, the experiment, oh, does it really make a difference if I have a, another glass of wine the night before I do a big presentation? Yes. But we don't do these things because, again, they seem so small and significant so I think it really requires to the point we made at the beginning of the podcast a mindset shift mm. about the importance of sweating the small stuff the important importance of interrogating the small stuff because again as we've said over and over again in this conversation it's the small stuff that makes the biggest difference yeah uh, and, we, and we've seen that just I'll just talk about an experiment now if that's all right yeah. um so 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 an experiment on and we'll talk in a second about psychological safety okay mm-hmm. so um if you're on LinkedIn for more than five minutes at the moment um you'll hear about psychological safety and the importance of it and it is important um I genuinely believe a silent culture is a dangerous one so mm-hmm. having safety for people to be able to experiment to, to criticize to speak whatever that is is important so um having a look at an organization and you think about psychological safety this is something I've done before so Having a look at, so in terms of if we go through our own process, where are we now? Having a look at survey data or productivity data or sickness data, anything like that that you've got, you will have data available to you. So having a look, okay, can you identify where um, people feel psychologically safe or not? And then the hypothesis when you look at that is, okay, do I, if I just think of one, uh, is does an improved relationship lead to psychological safety? so my hypothesis is that it does so what can we do about that so we've got data that says person x doesn't feel psychologically safe okay what can we do what we could do is invest loads of money on psychological safety training on awareness training and all this kind of thing actually maybe if we just make a small tweak to something it might work so the experiment was to change a one-to-one process to change a one-to-one form that rather than diving into project work bring well-being to the top of the conversation how are you doing how's the kids how how's your weekend been or remembering they were going through a rough time last week referring back to it does the, the shift around and then going into how's the team how's the projects or whatever does that small shift make a difference the evidence says yes massively 
that creates a whole different relationship between the manager and the line report, which created more psychological safety, which helped that employee to feel safe, to innovate, to change, to make mistakes, to speak up. So that was that's an experiment that was done successfully and is now rolled out across the whole organization. Mm. But it starts with a test. It starts with a hypothesis and it starts with a small action because that was a very small action. It costs nothing. I'm going to say, and that is such a good example of how small the action can be. It's you're already having the conversations. You're just changing your structure of that of that conversation. And some, I know some people worry about having compassionate conversations and like, oh, I don't really know what to say and so on. And yes, if you need uh, a bit more confidence or a bit of a bit more knowledge about how to develop those skills and create that safe space, then yes, you can you can access training you can access support for that but most people if they just turn that on its head and just start with checking in properly with how the person's doing what I mean what a difference and and the number of people who I speak to say oh yeah I do that I ask them how they are it's like well yeah so how are like we did this morning how are you and we're not going to accept fine thanks it's like right how are you really and I'm and I don't care if you say I'm fine we're going to dedicate like 10 minutes of, of this conversation or whatever minimum to just chatting about stuff so if you say everything's great hunky-dory it's like great we're still gonna spend 10 minutes talking about just why it's so great but there's it's a it's about really investing and valuing again it goes back to whether we're talking about not having an extra glass of wine or going to bed a bit earlier it's about valuing the importance of that relationship I just love so the simplicity of that experiment is brilliant yeah and it, but people might be thinking you know why why haven't I thought of that the thing is is that Sometimes you need to just look, sometimes you need external help, sometimes you need people or a peer group or whatever it is, just to suggest something that you could just take, make a minor change. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't think that you're on your own in this kind of thing. I think the value in this is 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 listening to other people, is to look externally, is to see what other people are doing. So that Kaizen philosophy, for example, made a massive difference to my mindset. I didn't think of it. Someone else is doing it somewhere. And I think we can look to the people who are doing it so people have knowledge about it, people who can guide you through it so that you can learn to do it yourself and then you can go off and do it and then teach other people. That's what yeah. it's all about. It's not about, you know, just thinking this is going to come to me randomly because it might not. So investing yeah. that time in learning how to have an experimental mindset mm-hmm. and knowing how to do it is invaluable, I think, for, for moving forward in, in the world of work. And And I think in terms of combining this need for having an experimental approach and the need for psychological safety if people focused if, if they if in terms of going away from this conversation today they thought right actually we just need to create more space because we know that everyone's going through change and it's a rapid pace of change um we know that people need to continue to change and to become agile we need we know that people need to be able to experiment to expect mistakes um to know that they're going to have a go at things and they might fail all that stuff, the emotional stuff kind of that we talked about right at the start of this conversation, we need to be able to engage, actively engage with that. So creating the space, either with yourself with a trusted other or in a particular network, whatever your group happens to be, your support, your peer group, um, and within your team that, that you work with, to be able to create the space and say, how are we feeling about the change or the uncertainty or we're all running our own experiments. Let's talk about how they're all going, including the leader who's role modeling the fact that theirs might not be going so well, or they might be feeling a bit unsure about what they're doing and please help. Um, that, But creating that space for people to really share 
emotionally how they're feeling about that situation that the experiment just turning up today at work just what's going on for me in the bigger picture is invaluable and that's what helps build that psychological safety that then encourages people to experiment more it does it builds it builds psychological safety it builds trust it builds engagement is again what people that we've just talked for the whole session today about how the world of work is changing and what people expect from work is different so previously you know you go to work you you, you, you clock in you get your paycheck and then you go home and that, and then you, you 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 live life has become so blended now that that's not the case anymore people are looking for different things they want to be driven by purpose they want to be engaged they want to be there for you know making an impact and there for a reason so creating that psychologically safe space is really important and and, and again with those conversations that you've just said giving people space to feel that's quite an alien concept again i think in some organizations um some particular industries even you're not expected to do that but creating the space for people to actually feel as you just said there is invaluable because what then comes from that is innovation is ideas is is again is experimentation is failure which is really good yeah and that and you know that ability to think on your feet and just see an opportunity and seize it and go why why don't we just do this or literally almost to say obviously within limits but say what you want to say without putting the filter on so I've worked with quite a few people this week on Monday four people who I saw independently of each other all shared a similar challenge which is I want to say something I want to do something and then I have this almost this voice in my head going no don't do that because they what are they going to think of you or is that the right thing to say or they're second guessing what everyone else is going to think about what they want to say so they filter it and they just say what is expected of them. And you're like, but how does that feel for you? Well, it's rubbish because I'm not really being, I'm not being authentic. I'm not being myself. I'm not sharing my ideas. And how's that feel for everyone else? Well, it feels kind of just a bit dull because it's like here we have the same conversations going over and over. So we have to be able to, you know, in terms of moving forward as companies, we need to have people who can think on their feet, who can be agile, who can go actually you know we're going this direction but this business plan going back to your idea that even for the next month actually is that really right have we, have we maybe if we like turned right slightly and went over here instead actually just be just having creating the right space for people to say how about and almost invite actively inviting that you know what what today can you suggest can we put into the pot on the table and say what about, how about, have we thought about, how, what about trying this? Just coming up with kind of, you know, blue sky thinking. Yeah, well, there's, there's just again, for people who are interested, there's just, again, very quick experiment to run. Um, it, it's called a break-in session. And what I like to do is um, either metaphorically or physically put a project or a task or a process in the middle of the table mm. um, and say, okay, if we were to drop this on the floor from a height and it was to break and we were to put it back together again, how would it look? And that gives people a really nice way of giving their ideas as to how things might look different in a really non-confrontational way. Um, it's just there's just that's a really powerful yeah. exercise to do with the team because yeah. yeah. it gives people a, an option to, to to give ideas. So um, I'm aware of time, Gem. You and I talked a bit more detail about um, the the kind of whole process of running through or creating space and running designing experiments running experiments and so on in a webinar that we ran recently yeah. um 
we ran that we had loads of people turned up so we actually recorded it again afterwards um so that it was um a bit more succinct um rather than having uh lots of people kind of um appearing on the camera um on the screen so we've got that and we'll put a link to that in the the show notes um so that people can go and um check that out and i think that might be useful because it comes also with um a downloadable pdf that people can use to evaluate their own practice and it has I think when people start to think, it goes back to your interrogation point, start thinking about where am, am I now? Like, well, how am I showing up and how are we working? And is that working well? So we'd urge people to go and download the webinar, watch that, um, download the PDF that goes with it and use that. Um, we're also going to be talking in January on this podcast with some leaders who've come along to our leadership lab. And we're going to be hearing about what they have to say in terms of their experience because we you and I get to hear the feedback um each time we see them um but it'd be great for other people to to hear I guess them echoing what you and I've been talking about today and the value in that um and actually when you hear other people who are saying I did something so small and it made such a huge difference it's like those are the stories that we need to hear and we need to share because that I guess that's what inspires people to thinking okay this hasn't got to be so technical or formal or grand or whatever I can just do something really small um and it'll make a difference to how how I feel and how I show up definitely because it's about bringing it to life and that's exactly what a podcast will do mm. through their stories all the things that we talk about it sounds a lot like theory but actually it's not and, and it'll be good to hear from from our from our cohort about bringing it to life yeah and, and my still one of my favorite quotes from one of those guys is that they really appreciate the lack of bullshit in our in our um, conversations and our sessions. We uh, can never be accused of bullshit, can we? <laughs> um, uh, so anyone um, also who's interested in knowing more about this approach can actually I just uh, either just contact either of us um, to chat more about it and um, we can give you some more direction. Um, if you're interested in coming along and being part of a group like the one that we were um, referring to this morning, we've got um, those are our leadership labs. Manager Labs, and we've got um, a next group of those starting in February next year. Um, so I can't believe we're actually talking about next year already, although actually yeah. it's not that far away, is it? Um, so we have got, um, I'll put a link to um, details for that in the, the show notes as well. Um, we will shout out and just say there is a early bird discount um, I really don't like the word early bird. I, have a bit no. of, I don't know why. Doesn't We need to come up with something different. But anyway, people who book before the 1st of January get a reduced rate for coming along. Um, although we are uh, prioritising people who, who are coming along to our session already. We're going to see if they want some um, spaces. So we would urge people to get on the, on the, the list soon um, because there are limited spaces. We very much value having a small group for people to be able to open up. Um, what else do we want to say, Jem, to finish this off? What What are going to be your final words of a of advice or wisdom? Take action. Take small action. So, so again, like I said before, we spend a huge amount of time thinking. Um, I think you know action is the way to go. So start small. Think about how you can make small changes in your organisation that will make a bigger the biggest impact. But also, know this is not a nice to have this approach. This, it really, really isn't. Um, it is going to be, if people want to succeed in the workplaces of now and of the future, 
you have to have a more agile mindset. You have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to try things and move along quickly, whether that's with your clients, with your products that you, you offer. Because, look, just the final thing I say is, does anybody still use any Blackberries? No. Mm-hmm. Because Blackberry is a company, Kodak, people like that, didn't embrace change and look what happened there. Um, so actually, we do we do need to do this as organisations and look, we'd love it if you want to come on the journey with us. Um, but even independently of us, please start taking some action. Fab. Thank you so much, Jem. Love chatting to you as always. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll, be, well we'll be back here again in January. We will. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently. I'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.